From heights of heaven to darkest night The mission of the Father's heart upon your mind Nothing would stop you Beneath the burden You felt the weight You held the tension of the price you'd have to pay Nothing would stop you Bless the one who reigns forever Bless the one who ransomed me From death to life there is no other Bless the only risen of glory poured out for us at Calvary your body broken on the cross nothing would stop you the lion stormy through gates of hell defeated death and then you came back from the dead could stop you nothing could stop bless the one who reigns forever bless the one who ransomed me from death to life there is no other bless the only you conquered hell the veil was torn the enemy beneath your feet My eyes are on eternity Bless the one who reigns forever Bless the one who ransomed me From death to life there is no other Bless the well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion. To those of you in this space, welcome. And to those of you joining with us online, welcome as well. We're glad that you're joining us today. And now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 145. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
bring our praise. You bring revival. We lift our hands. You lift our eyes up. Where your love is found, there will be no fear. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done here. On earth as in heaven. Spirit of God, pour out. We need you now. Come, have your way in this place. Break our walls down. Spirit of God, pour out on earth as in heaven. Yeah, Jesus, we need you now.
his throne Acquainted with our sorrow To trade the debt we owe Your suffering for our freedom the Lamb of God in my place Your blood poured out my sin erased It was my death you died I am raised to life Hallelujah, the Lamb of God My name upon your heart My shame upon your shoulders The power of sin undone The cross for my salvation sin erased it was my death you died I am raised to life hallelujah the Lamb of God there is no Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to release kids downstairs for Sunday school. We're all the way through fifth grade today, so I think our teachers are ready and roaring to meet some excited faces. So Sunday schoolers all the way through fifth grade can head downstairs. Just to introduce myself again, my name is Nate DeWitt. I'm the youth pastor here at Hardwick. Uh, I get the honor and privilege of working with our students uh, on a daily and weekly basis here. Um, I just want to throw out a thank you to all of you guys. Um, we are so well supported um, financially, prayerfully, 
um, in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm a part of a lot of different youth forums and groups and, and Facebook groups and all that kind of stuff um, where there's a lot of conversation about the churches that, that people are part of. Um, and not everybody is, feels nearly as well supported as we do at Hardawake. So thank you for your continued support. Thank you for uh, all the ways in which you look out for our students here. It's, it's a blessing to be a part of that. Um, <clears throat> I just want to share one quick story with you guys um, about something really cool that happened in our high school youth group a couple of weeks ago. Just to give you an idea of some of the really cool things that are happening across the parking lot regularly. Um, so it was uh, Monday night, which is when our high school youth group meets, and uh, we had kind of just finished up the normal formal, formal part of our high school youth group called High Tide, and uh, a high school junior uh, comes over and sits next to me at our kind of one of our um, dining areas in the loft over at the anchor, and he says, Nate, I got I to gotta talk to you about something. I said, okay, what's up, man? You know, what can I, what can I do for you? And he said, well, I got this, I got this thing on my mind that's been rattling around, that, and it's, it's, I kind of heard this message about this story from the Bible, and I feel like I really want to, I feel like I should share it with the rest of the high school group. And I said, okay, well, you know, how would you, how would you like to go about doing that? And he said, well, I, I think maybe I'd just like to give up and, or get up and give the talk at youth group on a Monday night. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a high school student that wants to get up and publicly speak in front of his peers. And I'm, this, me as a high school would never want to do that. So first of all, kudos to him for wanting to do that. Um, and I said, okay, well, you know, how can I help you? What can I do for you? How can we prepare you for it? Uh, he said, well, I, I think I just, I think I'm decent at public speaking and I want to just get up there and, and do it. And I said, okay, this was Monday night. And he said, well, how about if we just do it next week? Sure, we'll make room for you. Absolutely, we'll make that happen. So we wait the week, and, and we get to Monday night, and I'm, you know, kind of nervous for him. And he's, he's a fantastic student and a great, great young man, but I'm a little bit nervous because I don't know how he's prepared and what he's really got to say. I know the message he wants to, to share, the story he wants to share. He was going to talk about um, Jesus and calming his storm. Um, but anyway, he gets up in front of youth group, and he knocks it out of the park. He crushes it. He does a fantastic job, and I'm sitting in my, my, my seat on the couch upstairs pretty comfortable, and I'm thinking, this kid's going to take my job. He's doing such a good job. <laughs> He did a fantastic job, and shortly after that night, um, I was getting email messages from other students in the group and a few other parents just about how inspired they were by this, this student being willing to share this story and how good of a job he did and, and how much they were moved by what he had to say and a, and a peer of theirs getting up and wanting to share like that and share a message that he had on his heart. It was just a really, really cool thing, and it meant a lot to a lot of parents and students that were a part of the youth group that night. And It's just something we've been talking a lot in youth group about leadership, um, and about the idea of going from a point in your faith where you are needing to be fed all the time to in taking your faith to a point where you're ready to help start feeding into other people's faith and feeding other people's faith. And to see one of our students that just voluntarily wanted to do that was just a fantastic thing. Last week, Wednesday night, we had an event for... Um, elementary school kids, cadets and gems, where a bunch of our high schoolers were willing to just give up their Wednesday night to, to join that group and help work some carnival games over there. So we've just, we've got some really, really cool students that are willing to participate and jump in and dive in and, and live their faith out, which is really cool. And this was just one small example of that. So thanks again for your support. Thank you for the ways in which you guys pray for us and the ways in which you take care of our students. Um, this is a church that for a long time has uh, put a lot of effort and time into student ministries, and we're, we're so grateful for that. So uh, let's pray a minute, and then we'll move on with the, the service. So, Lord, thank you. Um, we have so much to be grateful for. Thank you for this community. Um, thank you for the students that are part of it and all the ways in which um, <clears throat> they continually grow closer to you and then live that out in ways that are meaningful in their communities too, Lord. 
Uh, thank you for the parents that invest so much time and energy and the grandparents that do the same and um, the programs like Faith Friends and other things that are going on that just, um, they mean so much to different students in the ways um, they can grow students and, and again, bring them closer to you. Lord, thank you for being a God that is powerful and mighty and patient uh, and is there for us whenever we call on you. Uh, Lord, this, this community, um, as awesome as it is, also goes through a lot of difficult struggles. And there's a lot of people in our community that are hurting or that are ill um, or just at points in their lives that are just not great, Lord. Um, but we are grateful uh, that you are a God that is there and that you are a God that puts people in our lives and allows us to be parts of people's lives um, that help them through those hard times, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the ways in which um, we're able to reach out into this community. Um, give us wisdom, Lord, to navigate the difficult things that are going on in our world today. Give us uh, eyes to see uh, opportunities to make a difference for you, Lord, and give us the courage to step out um, in ways when maybe we were not ready to before. Um, Lord, as we move forward today, I, I, I ask that you um, make your presence felt to us. We know you're here, uh, but sometimes we, we want to feel that more. So grant us that today as we move forward into service. Uh, and uh, if you would all pray with me with the uh, moving on with the Lord's Prayer as well. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. What is he doing there? A <laughs> uh, couple of quick things. Just to let you know, there was an exposure and quarantine and blah, blah, blah for um, the Wernland family. Everybody seems to be well, fairly minor. Of course, I can't talk about things with various restrictions, but I'll just say there was a test that was positive. It was not algebra. <laughs> you see, I have obeyed the letter of the law. We're going to talk about the letter of the law some today. So if you ever need... Some advice on how to get around the law and keep your self-righteousness. Oh dear, we all need a big savior, don't we? Um, so I'm happy to fill in, thankful for the opportunity. I hope y'all are, and I'll take a minute, I hope y'all are growing to appreciate JB as much as I am. I get to pray and work with him and Aaron, and we spend time together each week, sometimes day by day. And I am thankful that I can stand before celebration and say, you know, the guy next door, JB, my preaching and celebration is stronger because of the prayer and the study that I've had with these two other folks. There's a really wonderful thing going on. And so when this momentary uh, thing came up, I'm happy to help and glad to come over and, and, and be a part with things. I'm thankful, too, with Nate. I'm so thankful for the, the work that God is doing through the wide variety of things going on at Harder Like. You heard 
just one of the many stories going on among student ministries. And one of the things we're learning as a staff, and Nate's been very helpful and key with this, is we're living in a very uh, different time than when I began, began ministry in a, in a whole different century. Um, it's very different now. Years ago, we were helping students be prepared to kind of fit into a strong Christian culture. Now the challenge really is to help students, to help all of us really, begin to be lights for the gospel of God's grace in a very different kind of culture and surrounding. And so it's a, ministry is different, but um, I'm thankful to be a part of that. And, and again, you get to touch each of these things. We're working, th- and I need to find the remote uh, so that I can click through the sermon things. Where is it? Lower. Oh, wow. Now, Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. <laughs> we, we have an ongoing joke. It's been a really tough kind of almost two weeks, particularly in the celebration community. We've decided we call our worship services. The subtitle is, and what will Pastor Bill forget today? So we'll see what I forget and go from there. We're preaching through the uh, number of the parables of Jesus. And our challenge has been to take these stories that are often kind of familiar and that may really uh, have lodged in our memories as kind of morality plays. Okay, do this and God will love you. But to hear them more as Jesus would have communicated them and to see how often those really kind of scratch at us. So I don't mean any harm, but if you feel something kind of scratching, I think we're getting back to where we need to be in these texts. We're looking at a very familiar one today, and I'll be reading, if y'all would just press through for me, uh, from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Uh, Listen to God's word. Now, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Mm, What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And you've got to give this text just a moment right there to kind of have this ah, tense. Do this, really? Let it rub. But he wanted to justify himself as he thought about it, the lawyer did. And so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus doesn't give him a didactic teaching. He gives him a story. Listen to this story. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers on that road, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and you need to hear it that way, because that's kind of what the Samaritan would have sounded like to every person in that circle. A Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when the Samaritan saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who, and notice this response, it's important, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there was a Greek physician centuries ago who after he came to faith in Jesus and traveled with Paul began to collect and confirm things from eyewitnesses who would have told him many times of this story and this encounter. So he carefully recorded it. It became part of his reflection on the life of Jesus. And it's been preserved across centuries now and really fascinating and extraordinary ways so that we can uh, open the scroll as it were, translate, study, read, ponder. Now Holy Spirit, just as you've preserved that story in these texts, so now be present in our hearts and minds that we might receive light, that lift the ink as it were from the page and press it deep into our hearts. We thank you for the way that you've loved us, that your love is bigger even than my confusion and brokenness. But in this, you will make yourself known to your people. Fill us with great hope this day. We pray in Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people sit together. Amen. Amen. Well, it begins, Jesus meets with a lawyer. And they have a conversation. Luke is very careful. Context of the parable. Okay. That's somebody else's. So I'm just going to press on. Um, Jesus encounters this lawyer, and the question is this. The lawyer stood up to test him. The lawyer wasn't trying to get information. Gosh, I've got a question. Can you give me information that I don't have? No, the lawyer says, I want to test you. I want to see if you meet the standard. Perhaps even, do you meet my standard? So he says to Jesus, what must I do to enter eternal life? Now, there's five times, if you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's five times recorded where somebody comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to enter the kingdom or to enter eternal life or this or that or the other? What must I do? This is one of those. And watch the way Jesus enters into this. Where does he go to make his answer? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus goes to the law. He goes to the book of Moses. And that's where the lawyer goes. Jesus asks him, uh, how do I, the lawyer asks, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, how would you put this? And the man goes to the law. He goes to the, first of all, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. He's just quoting from Moses. He's going to the Old Testament. And then he quotes from Leviticus. You know, Leviticus, you, in your yearly Bible reading from Genesis to Revelation, you hit Leviticus right around, oh, February and drop off. But it's in Leviticus. Listen to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer asks a question. Jesus kind of turns it around and asks a question of him. And he responds by looking to the law. And Jesus says, that's right, because the law will teach you all you need to know about salvation. Now, there's a big difference right here, and I want to point this out. For the lawyer, he starts thinking, okay, I go to the law, and I see what I must do. 
But Jesus, remember, talks about his understanding of the Old Testament, of Moses and the prophets, of the law and the prophets, however you would phrase it, because he does it several different ways. But do you remember Luke 24, 27? He's on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion. And it says that beginning with Moses, that's the book of Moses, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and all the prophets, Jesus explained to his friends on the road to Emmaus what was said in all scripture concerning him. So you see, right here we have a fork in the road. If you read the Old Testament as if it's instruction for what you must do, you will never hear the gospel. It will be darkness to you, it will be weight, it will be difficulty, it will be condemnation. And Jesus did not read the Old Testament like that. Jesus read the Old Testament as an expression of who he was and what God was doing in the gospel. If you read the Old Testament as what you must do, wait. If you read the Old Testament as the explanation of who Jesus is, it'll be light and life. There's a fork in the road right here. And you see this lawyer, he starts off, what must I do? Jesus points to the law because that is God's revelation. Make no mistake of it. That's how Jesus holds it. That is God's revelation. But already there's beginning to be, you can't quite see it. It'll show up a little later. This division, is the law about what I do or is the law meant to lead me to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so it's this, what is the law about? And I will ask you to consider that. What is the law about? When I read the Old Testament, am I looking for what I must do to please God? Or do I see in those words all that I need to know and understand the Lord Jesus Christ? So what started out as a question for Jesus gets turned around to a question for the lawyer. And fortunately, the lawyer passes the test, if you will. He's got the right answer. He is looking to the word of God. That's true. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. Oh, catch 22. Because you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had said, oh, you know the commandments. Thou shalt not murder. Pass that one. But then he says, look to your heart. Have you ever harbored anger? Have you ever spoken ill? Committed adultery? Doing all right. Lust in your heart? Uh, Let's move on. You see, If this lawyer has heard Jesus before, he knows that there's always something deeper. He passes the test and then Jesus says, ah, do this and you will live. And so the lawyer, this expert in the Jewish law is thinking, oh, wanting to justify himself, it says in verse 29. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? I'll give you a hint. We'll touch this a little later. Anytime you think your relationship with God depends on what you must do, there's going to come two options. One, you're going to try to whittle that down and make it manageable. Oh, God wants this? Well, how about that? God wants this? How about that? Or you'll feel depressed. Gosh, God really wants that kind of purity of heart? Yeah. Could be trouble. And you've got to just sense this lawyer's beginning to struggle with that. So he asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, fascinating, rather than give him a didactic theological answer, just tells him a story. 
And I love the stories of Jesus because they have room for us to enter in. I use a term called divine ambiguity. Every now and then Jesus will say something and it's not real rigidly specific. And I used to think, why? Why would he be unclear? And then I realized it was so that he could leave room for my sin. (laughs) That's where I fit in the text. And we'll hit some of these. Listen to this. The story goes, there's folks leaving Jerusalem, the city where the temple and the holy sacrifice is, and they're heading out of town, down the mountain to Jericho. And this is a known stretch of land, the path of blood, the way of blood. It's a very dangerous road. It's rocky and lonely. There's switchbacks, great for ambushes. I was reading through this. I remembered a close friend of mine who was leading a, a... a mission from our denomination in a, in a tough neighborhood in Detroit. And my church in Mount Pleasant would take our vacation Bible school down and through his church in the neighborhood, we'd work with those kids, support them for a week. And as I was going down to scout things, Randy drove me through his neighborhood and the people he loved and invested his life in. And one of the first things I noticed, because it scared me to death, was he never stopped for a stop sign. And so we're driving through this tough neighborhood in Detroit, and he's just blowing through stop signs, and we're dodging and dodging that. And I'm thinking, Randy, I, I love Jesus, but I don't want to meet him this afternoon. What's going on? And he said, oh, it's just, it, in this neighborhood, we don't stop for stop signs. If you stop, it's dangerous. So we just keep moving, and we all kind of agree that we're going to not meet in the middle. And the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is kind of like that road in Randy's neighborhood. And so here's this man who's beaten up, robbed, left for dead. Notice, if you'll read John 10.10 10 from the lips of Jesus, he says that that's the work of the devil, to rob, kill, and destroy. It's exactly what happened to this man. So we're coming across a guy who's had an enemy pound him to death right by the side of the road. And the two religious professionals pass him by and keep on going. I won't get into the Levite and the priest. It could have been a Methodist. It could have been a Presbyterian. It just the religious professional folks had a busy schedule or other demands or this or that. They kept on moving. We're not exactly sure why. It doesn't give us a good inventory of what was going on. But you can begin to think of lots of good answers to the question. Reasonable guesses. Uh, They didn't want something like that to happen to them. They didn't want to put themselves where they could have unending cost. They had a schedule to keep, good things to do. They had purity laws about care with blood and dead bodies and things. And oh, it could be any number of reasons. It could even kind of be like my sin. What's going through my heart? When I come up to the stoplight, there were three particular lights where I used to live in suburban D.C. And you pull up to that stoplight, and that's where the panhandlers were. And you'd go through this little dance of keeping the window open and suddenly really interested in dialing your radio and stuff. And what goes on in your heart in those moments? That's kind of where Jesus is pushing See the story on the cardboard scribbled and just, oh, what radio station? Go. See, I fit in this text right there. Well, in the midst of this comes a Samaritan. And think hated outcast. 
by all the Jews listening to that story, they were trained. There were centuries of reasons and animosity. So they knew this Samaritan was awful. And that's what makes it hard for us to really hear the, the screech in this text. We've grown up, most of us, in what I'd call Christendom, where the culture is kind and deeply shaped by the, at least the biblical truth. It's done a funny thing to this term, Good Samaritan. If I were to talk with you after the service and say, well, you're a real Good Samaritan, you'd say, well, thank you. See, Good Samaritan is a nice term. It's good, we have Good Samaritan laws, so if you stop and help somebody and it doesn't turn out well, you're covered. This isn't at all like that. I remember back in the day, I used to play music for a living, and I was in a band that got hired into these Good Sam conventions, they called them, the Good Samaritan Club. I, I don't know anything about them, but they were really nice people, and they seemed to be older and have RVs, and they'd travel around the country and get together and have conventions and hire us. It was really nice. They, I, I always wondered, did they stop along the highway and help people change tires or whatever? They were very nice people. They would always pay us, just like we'd contracted. They applauded often. Not once did they throw beer bottles or trash at us. These people were like three cuts above who we usually played for. But this Good Samaritan couldn't have gotten in that Good Sam Club. You see, don't think the Good Sam Club when you're thinking about this Good Samaritan. This guy would have been hated. I was struggling with this term, offensive oxymoron. When Jesus uses this deliberate image of the Samaritan, it would have been offensive to folks. It would have been an oxymoron. Now, oxymoron, what is that? It's, it's a contradiction. One of my favorites is um, tax simplification. Have you heard of new legislation for that? Maybe you have, but you're, none of us would believe it. That's an oxymoron. Tax simplification? Forget it. It's like, well, I won't say a winning season for the Lions. Would that be an oxymoron? Yeah, I mean, you, you get these things. A good Samaritan is like that. It's offensive. It trips your inner anger. It bothers you. It would be like a, a Jewish rabbi having a heart attack and out jumps a guy who said, oh, I was trained in CPR at ISIS fighter school. I'll save him. No, there's something bad and wrong. And this Samaritan would have been an offensive oxymoron to everybody there. And what happens? Well, Jesus describes a guy who does the impossible. He's on this dangerous road and he stops and he notices he's not checking his radar like Pastor Bill. He's not checking the radio and looking. He stops. He sees the pain. He has compassion, it says. He relocated. He stopped and went over to the guy. He bandaged his wounds. Can't do that without touching him, can you? He applied wine and oil, the medicine of the time is how you would have understood that. He inconvenienced himself. He put that guy on the donkey so that he had to walk, even while exposed to the thieves and to the robbers. He brought him to an inn. Must have been quite the inn if it was on that road. That's all I'm going to say about that one. And he took care of him. And he invested his own man, money in the man's recovery. He's doing the impossible. 
That's a checklist that you don't want. And to make it worse, after the 24, 36 hours, whatever it was that that would have taken, he gets back on the road, you can imagine the story, and what does he find a half a mile down? Well, it's not called the bloody way for nothing. He probably finds another guy. And in another mile, another guy. And Do you know how that kind of brokenness is unending? And you want me to notice and relocate and invest money and time? Oh, you need to hear the story of the Good Samaritan as being invited to do the impossible. Imagine, here it is. Lawyer, I want you to step out and among people that hate you. Just do like him if that's the example. Interact with people that hate you, have hated your people for centuries. I want you to care for one who would naturally despise you. There were strong feelings. I want you to put yourself in harm's way. I want you to expose your time and your finances to great loss. Jesus is painting a picture, telling a story about a man who willingly does the impossible for somebody who can't do anything for himself. And then he asked the lawyer, uh, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus has described the impossible, but to his credit, this man is beginning to process something deep inside him. This lawyer realizes that it's more than behaviors because he says, the one who had mercy. Mercy is not a behavior. Mercy is a state of heart that then expresses itself in various behaviors. And already this lawyer is realizing, oh, it's more than just what you do. It's who you are. I have no doubt that he would have known the words of the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6, where God says, For I desire mercy, not a sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. If he was a scholar in the Old Testament, he would have known that what God calls us to is more than a checklist of behaviors, but a new state of heart that leads to who knows what behaviors. Behaviors of kindness and goodness, putting ourselves in harm's way, finding a way to care for those who might hate us. You think about who Jesus was, laying aside his glory at great cost to himself, entering into our brokenness and giving his life to be tortured by people who hated him, also he could give them what they did not deserve. Let that one ring through your heart and then go and do likewise. I'm not so sure about that. Called to do the impossible. You see, I see this lawyer on a journey with Jesus through this text. He grasps that he needs to show mercy and that it's an issue of the heart. He responds to that. And that's a great, great sign. I know as I'm spending time with people, as we're interacting about the hope of the gospel, that there'll be this moment almost where they begin to think, okay, maybe... I haven't been good enough, but that's not so much because I need to change behaviors as there's something deeper in here. I had to ask myself, not why am I so argumentative? I had to ask myself, why am I so insecure that I've got to win the argument? 
See, suddenly the Holy Spirit was moving deeper and bringing a hope to a deeper and deeper place. Friends, this lawyer's on a journey. He begins to realize it's a matter of the heart. If it's just about behaviors, we're going to always try to manage the law. Oh, let's, who, who's my neighbor? I, I might do that with a Jewish guy, but not a Samaritan. Well, so Jesus tells a story where the Samaritan actually does it. Yikes. You see, you got two ways to respond to the law if you think your relationship with God is based on your behaviors and the law. One way is to keep reducing it. I'm going to make it manageable. Well, I'll be good to these people, if not those people. I'll deal with my own brokenness by not hanging around people with that brokenness. Building walls. I try to manage the law down to where I can do it. Otherwise, I just feel depressed. I'll never live up to what God wants me. I'll ask folks sometimes, when you picture God right now, what's on his face? I get it. That's an anthropomorphism. God doesn't know. But I want to tell you something. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, when God the Father thinks of me and you if you're in Christ, he's smiling. But you don't know what I was just thinking. I'm telling you what he's expressing. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, I live under his smile. So when he says, ah, do the impossible, he wants me to know that I can't live up to that. But that's not a problem. The lawyer is on a journey, and we need to be on that same journey. We've included in this morning's sermon resources blog. I, you should get an email every Sunday morning with links to the live stream and some other resources. The one the three of us prepare for each week includes a link to a, I think it's a brilliant sermon clip from Dr. Martin Luther King, a great American preacher who I've deeply appreciated across years. Two days before he was assassinated, he preached from this text in Memphis. And one of the things he does, it's, it's perfect exegesis, and he communicates in this, this vibrant African-American homiletic style. He talks about this Samaritan, begins to view the problem differently. It's not about what happens to me if I help, but what happens to the man by the side of the road if I do not help. You see, that's a change of heart. It's not about my time or my finances or my convenience or my schedule or this. It's not about what will happen to me, but what will happen about them. You see, that's a change of heart from self-directed to other-directed. Dr. King nails it. And we need to have that same challenge and conviction. Jesus invites us to do the impossible. Well, no, he invites us to see the impossible and realize we can't do it but there is one who could. In the crowd that day, there is one who would give his life for people who hated him. He would lose out from his glory for the sake of other people. He would enter into brokenness. He would care for those who despised him. He would put himself in harm's way. There is one, and you know who that is in that crowd. It was the Lord Jesus himself. See, one of the things I had to discover in terms of working with this text is when I look at the Good Samaritan, I'm not looking at a model for my behavior. The Good Samaritan is Jesus. Isaiah would look through the centuries 
at one we'd come to know as Jesus. And he would say, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem, just like the Jews held Samaritans in low esteem. Jesus entered into that. He would care for those who despise him. There, with two thieves on either side, he would speak to one who sought him out, hanging there. Today, you'll be with me. He would put himself in harm's way, lay aside his glory and walk among us at tremendous expense of his own time, his own ability. The good Samaritan is Jesus. Don't read it as a call to do the impossible because the impossible is impossible. Read it as one who did the impossible for us, the Lord Jesus. So the Good Samaritan is Jesus. And what that means is I need to find my place in the story. I'm either the dying man or I'm the Levite or the priest. Who will it be? When I look to the dying man, robbed, beaten, killed, the victim of an enemy's work, I need rescue and hope. There is a Samaritan, one who is despised, one who at great cost to himself put his life on the line, faced inconvenience. Suddenly there is one who did the impossible and he did the impossible for me. And he frees me from thinking, I need to do the impossible. I wanna tell you what Jesus calls us to when you read the rest of the story is to live not by the power of our own guilt or motivation, but live by the indwelling spirit who empowers us. I see what Jesus did. I know he did what I need but can never do for myself. He calls me not to go and do, but to come to me and I will give you rest. You know Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to Jesus and there's the hope. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus will say, go and make disciples. But what's also in that phrase? I will be with you to the end of the ages. We don't face this alone. No, there is one who by his grace and glory has rescued us and lives within us. Galatians 5.22, Paul lists the fruit of our effort. Uh, no, that's called the fruit of our sin. The fruit of the Spirit is God at work to bear his life in and through us. Will we care for those who have need? Absolutely. But is every care we see ours? No. We follow one. We're empowered by one. We're a part of the body of Christ, of one who would do the impossible. Friends, I want to tell you, the indwelling spirit empowers us to follow the Savior. We see this call when Jesus says, go and do likewise. I see that and realize I can't. He did and now by his grace, he lives in me. I'm empowered to follow the Savior. And I'm set free. I don't have to be the Savior. You know, it's a broken world. I've done more funerals over the past couple months than I'd like to do in another couple months. And I keep wondering, do I run out? And I kind of have run out, but Jesus has not. We've seen Jesus show up and minister 
It's the grace of God in you and through you. That young man who spoke in our student ministry, I want to shine a light on that and say, that's a passion and I hope that God has given you. Cultivate who God is and what he wants to do in you. You will be empowered to follow the Savior. He may take you to places like my friend Randy's neighborhood and you'll be right where you need to be. Your good shepherd may say, roll down the window and invite that homeless person at the stoplight to hop in the car and say, I'm not going to give you cash, but I will take you to lunch. As you begin to live by that greater power that meets the impossible, you're free to live in that. You're not the savior of yourself or of others. It's good news. Friend, there is one who did the impossible. There is one who is the good Samaritan who rescued us, but then he calls us to follow and work with him. And we remember we can care for the wounded. Isn't that amazing? We can be a part of God's work and answer in the lives of broken people because he's been at work in our lives as a broken person. We can care for the wounded, but Jesus cares by fixing the real and the deep problem. And there's the call, friends. As we give the gospel of God's grace and hope, make that clear and compelling that people might receive, he then calls us, empowered by him, to be part of the connection and delivery. We're called to this great and marvelous thing. We see something impossible, but we see one who's made the impossible and done it and who lives in us and calls us to that. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's not about the doing. It's about the receiving and living. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for the good news and the hope of the gospel that you have called us to more than we could ever do and be ourselves, but because of who Jesus is and what he did at the cross, what you give to us from the empty tomb, from that pouring out of the Holy Spirit that we might live in humility and simplicity to a voice and a grace and a hope that's greater than us. I pray that you would set us free from having to justify ourselves like that lawyer did early in the conversation, that we might be confronted by the impossibility of what it means to live up to the standard, and that by your grace we would hear your voice that says, my life for yours, that we would respond in faith to your grace, and that your grace would then grow in us as individuals and as the body of Christ, the fullness of the fruit of your good work. Father, thank you that I don't have to be a despised Samaritan who puts himself at risk, that there's one who's gone ahead of me and who's rescued me, one left by the roadside, robbed, killed, left for dead. Thank you for the new life in Jesus. We give you praise and thanks. Hear our praise. For we make our prayer in Jesus' marvelous name and all of God's people said together. Amen. 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 I invite you to stand and worship with us. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more. 
for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this child my hope is only jesus for my life is holy strange and divine i can sing on this morning yet not i but through christ in me the night is dark but i am not forsaken for by my side the Savior he will stay I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need his power is displayed to this I hold my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I him sing. throne to this i hold my hope is only jesus all the glory evermore to him when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not i but through christ in me through Christ in me. 
Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Amen. Indeed, yet not us, but the power of Christ through us and working through us. And now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. I am raised to life.